And if you guys could applaud or something, it'd be cool. We're going to be talking. No, wait, wait. We're going to be talking about how to confront sin. <laughs> but first, I have a very, 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 very special treat for you. I have uh, some actors. Uh, they're going to come, uh, come up to the stage and do a little skit for you. Isn't that cool? We have, like, talented people. So I'm going to ask the actors to come up, please. Can you, can you please come up with confidence? Can you guys come sit on the couch? I'm not on the couch. You sit over here. All of you guys. All right, have a seat. Pretend that they don't look awkward right now. Uh, Andy, go for it. So this is the setting, okay? And the first thing, the first one I'm going to ask them to act out is the um, the um, the anti-confrontation, the anti-confrontation. Hey, <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure that was amazing. Yeah, Sammy, you got to enunciate your your. Your anti-confrontation. All right, so the next one I'm going to have you guys do is do uh, bad confrontation. Hey, bro, how you doing? Okay. What's up? Dude, I've been killing it in All right, that was bad confrontation. All right, then good confrontation. But you guys got to be louder because when they laugh, well, actually, the good confrontation, you shouldn't be laughing. But go ahead. Hey, bro, how you doing? Okay. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. I know, I know that it's going to be hard for you guys to hold back your tears because that was so moving. Uh, but, but if you guys, if you guys have ever um, been in a situation where you know that one of your friends is doing wrong, right? How many of you guys have ever been in this situation? You know one of your friends is doing wrong, and you are concerned, maybe a little bit irritated, frustrated, and you want to call them out. But What's your problem? What's the problem? Why do we, most of you guys never call out your friends? Scared to lose them as a friend. Chris? Awkward. It's awkward. It's so awkward, right? What else? Might be a fight. <laughs> You're insane. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe they could punch you in the face. That would be a little bit intense. But yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. What else? 
What other reasons do you not confront your friends? Do you guys afraid, are, are afraid of what, not to, or what to say? You don't know what to say? Right? How to say it? How many of you guys are like, totally confident in confronting someone in sin biblically? You're like, ah, let's open up the Leviticus. <laughs> I just want to read this passage to you. Stop me if you don't understand what I'm saying. Right? No, 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 no. You're just like, I don't even know what to say. I just know it's wrong. Well, why do you, why do you think it's wrong? I don't know. I just heard somewhere it's wrong to do crack. Right? And so you want to you wanna confront your friends. You're just not sure how to do it, what to say. You don't want to lose your friends. It's awkward. So we're going to be talking today about how to confront sin because we all need training. Because this is the deal. If you are a Christian and you are hearing my voice, whether you are a baby Christian, like infant walking around crawling, you know, or you are a, a mature Christian that has spent most of your life, most of us have a really, really hard time of doing this well. You get it? Most of us have a really hard time doing this well. We will either be the anti-confrontation person, which we mean we'll never, ever say anything. Or we'll come across bad and be like, you're in sin, you need to quit. Right? Jesus is sad right now. Though you spiritual manipulation, you see this a lot with adults. Adults will try to spiritually manip manip manipulate you guys. They'll be like, hey, you should come and uh, um, uh, do the door-to-door -door ministry. Jesus would be so happy if you did that. And you're just like, I want to kill you. Get away from me. I love Jesus, but I don't feel like I love Jesus right now because you're making me feel bad. Right? That's spiritual manipulation. You've heard that before? Parents do that a lot. And it's, it's not that they're really like, I don't think that they're evil people. I just think they've never really learned what it is to like properly communicate, to properly encourage somebody. So they just kind of learn and they see what other people do and they just kind of do it. They're just really condemning and mean. Right? They're like, oh yeah, if you don't, if you don't, um, if you don't tell others about Jesus, then you don't love. That's, that's not true. That is a lie. Okay? So, if, yeah. If, if anyone was listening today, <coughs> you know what I'm saying. All right. So here we go. So here we go. All right. The big idea is it's, the, it's not the fruit. It's not the uh, behavior. It's the root. Okay? That's how we confront. We have to keep that in mind. That's the main thing. So if you guys look at a plant, right, and you see a tree that does not produce apples, there's nothing on the branches, and it's been year after year after year, and it's way past maturity. It should be, plant, it should be producing fruit, but it's not producing fruit. Is it the fruit's problem? Can we tape fruit onto that tree? Oh, the answer is no. People are like, I'm not a gardener. <laughs> I have no idea. Do I look like I work for an apple orchard? You cannot tape fruit onto a tree. But that's how Christians oftentimes handle confrontation. Oh, yeah? You're smoking crack? Stop it. It's bad. No, no. Jesus does not like crack. And then you walk away. And then they're still smoking crack. You're like, you, you're still smoking crack? Stop it. Right? What are they doing? What is that Christian trying to do? The Christian is trying to control, right, the fruit. Trying to deal with the outward behavior, but not dealing with the root, the heart, what's really going on. They're smoking crack because something is wrong. Like healthy, normal, you know, people, they just don't walk around smoking crack. Like, hey, what are you doing today after school, Victoria? Oh, I'm looking for some crack. <laughs> oh, really? That's kind of weird. Aren't you going to go home and do your homework? Well, after I get crack. Right? It just doesn't make sense. Something had to have happened in their life that leads to such drastic behavior. A lot of you guys struggle with sin. It's because there's something in the root that has to be dealt with. And so when you think of con confrontation, 
Do not think, oh, I need to control their behavior. Stop smoking crack. I'm, I'm using really you know, ridiculous terms so that you remember. Oh yeah, it's like Howard saying don't smoke crack. That doesn't work. You've got to deal with the root. And oftentimes confrontation takes a long, 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 long time. So let's go to the text. Austin, where's Austin? I'm impressed with Sycar, bro. April kind of scoffed, but I was like, dude, that was awesome. She was like, everyone knows how to pronounce Sycar. But you did a great job. All right, so woman at the well. We've taught about, I've talked about the woman at the well before, right? We, I preached about it, but I didn't preach about it in this sense. We're talking about confrontation. Jesus is meeting with a woman at the well, correct? Obviously, her life is messed up, correct? She had five husbands, and the one that she's living with now is not her husband. What? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Lean into my mic. Okay. I'm, just, so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. So, um, did she have five husbands at once, or was it like... Separately. Okay. Right. I, I know. So that would be crazy. The men were like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's he? I just brought him home. He's my new husband. Dang it, woman. <laughs> and I love, like, in the Old Testament, you can, or, like, in the Bible, you can just call people woman. He says it all the time. Woman, you will know when the time comes. <laughs> but in America, if you call someone woman, they'd be like, what? What you mean? I'm trying to kill you. All right. So, five, uh, five, five husbands separately. The guy that he's living, she's living with now is not her husband. Obviously, she has major, major issues. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, which is just really bizarre because you know culturally, number one, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. That's a big deal because the Jews believe that the Samaritans betrayed them a long time ago. So there's this animosity. It's like me striking up a conversation with... Uh, I was going to say terrorist, but I'm not really that big. Okay, so it's like a, a Navy SEAL that sit down, sits down and si- uh, has, starts a conversation with a, um, a terrorist, a Muslim terrorist. Right? It was just, it's weird. It's just strange. And number two, he's a man and she's a woman. You just don't do that. Like in our culture, it's no big deal for me to say hi to a woman. But like, like for, like for if I want to share the gospel with a Muslim person and it's a woman, I don't. I'm like, Raylan, go talk to that person. Say hi to her. Because if I approach her, then it's like, whoa, this is bad. So Jesus is breaking all sorts of cultural laws. And he's sitting down with this Muslim woman saying, hey, what's up, girl? He's like, "Uh, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Like, you're a seal, and I'm I'm a terrorist. Why are you talking to me? What do you want? And you're a man, and I'm a woman. He says, I want some water. Now, obviously, Jesus does not need water, right? Jesus does not. He could reach down and grab some water. He could ask, you know, like somebody else. He could have his disciples, hey, go get me some water, because they're going to get him some food, right? So he's sitting there. He's obviously striking up a conversation because he has something in mind. Now, this is the deal. Most Christians would say, um, I, I know God has re- revealed to me your reputation, and you are a hussy. It's like, stop smoking crack, right? They would sit down and be like, look, look at you. What? I'm just trying to get water. Look, at, I know about you. I'm just leave me alone. I'm just trying to get what you sleeping around. Everyone's talking about you. Right. That's the normal Christian sense. You need to stop. Jesus is so angry at you right now. You need to stop. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. He's crying right now. I can feel it. <laughs> We're in the desert, but I can feel it. You know, like that's how normal Christians talk. I mean, obviously not. That's ridiculous. But like to that degree, they're still so negative and so mean. But Jesus says, hey, can you give me a drink of water? And the lady's like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll give you some water or whatever. Verse 10, he says, Jesus answered her, if you knew, and she's like, why, why are you asking me for a drink of water? And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, this is verse 10, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus 
flips it. Hey, can I give you some, uh, can, can you give me some water? And she's like, why are you asking me? And then he starts to talk about who? Really, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about himself. Right? So what is that? He's getting at the root. He's getting at the root. She's missing something because all of a sudden, immediately, her soul becomes thirsty. She says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? She starts asking questions because she's not really sure, but she knows that there's something wrong in the root and she wants it. I want this water because I don't want to come to this well because everyone judges me and I have to come at noon when nobody else is here because everyone thinks I'm a slut. And they think I have no value and I'm broken inside and I'm messed up and I'm really lonely and I'm trying to fill my heart with these men and they are not doing it for me and I'm not even going to marry this last man. My life is screwed up and it's over and everyone in the village hates me. I need this water because I don't want to be in that shame anymore. She has this root problem and Jesus is speaking right to it. Jesus isn't saying, stop it. Jesus is saying, hey, I got living water. And all of a sudden it opens the floodgates in her. I want that. I want it. Where can I get it? I want it. And then Jesus gets to the truth. This is where the confrontation comes in. It's really interesting how he does it. And Jesus doesn't ever say, you're wrong, you're in sin, get out of there, you know, like you need to stop doing it. Jesus does something really weird. He said, okay, she says, give me, this is verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. And then verse 16, Jesus says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Like that was the segue. I want this water. Okay, go get your husband. Oh, man. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> so I don't have a husband. He's like, yep, I know. And then he starts to list everything that she's done wrong. But he doesn't pass judgment. Jesus said to her, you're right when you, have, when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five, uh, you've had five husbands, and the man you're not, uh, you, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He doesn't condemn her. He just says, this is the situation that you're in. Verse 19, sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. It's good, good to know. I mean, she's pretty wise. I know that you're a prophet. And then she starts asking him spiritual questions because she knows that she is lost. And then God says, or, and then in verse 25, the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You get what happened? The whole confrontation went down unlike anything that we have done or seen as conf uh, confronters. Jesus comes up to her. He knows there's an issue. He asks her for something. She replies. They start in discussion. He talks about living water. She realizes she wants it. She becomes deeply, deeply thirsty in her soul. She asks God, uh, Jesus for it. Jesus says, where's your husband? He touches on the sin itself, but does not condemn her. Just shows her what it is. And she says, yeah, that's me. I perceive that you're a prophet. And he, she says, I know that there's someone, the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come and explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I am he. Do you see what happens? She goes from sin and brokenness to meeting Jesus to being shown, right, spiritual life, to sh be shown who she was meant to be, to be shown incredible beauty and grace and wholeness and health, and then brought all the way to Jesus to the very end. Isn't that amazing? So it didn't come across as, hey, you need to stop sinning, you evil, evil person. It came across as, meet Jesus. Meet Jesus. All right? All right, so I'm going to go through a few points, and this is going to be pretty fast because there's six points. I'm sorry, I usually try to do three, but there's six points because there's so many good. All right. Assume, number one, 
when you're confronting somebody of sin, you need to come in assuming that God is at work. Because I know a lot of you guys look at each other and be like, oh man, you know what I heard? I heard this person was partying at the club last week. You know, and they, I saw her on the worship team. And she's, she's leading worship and she's, she's at the club. And I saw her Instagram and I'm just really mad. I'm disappointed. You know, I don't even know if she's a Christian. Ugh, what's God doing in her? I don't think God's doing anything. There's no hope. There's no belief. You don't believe in that person. You don't believe in God doing something in their life. You need to assume that God is at work. That is so important. Because then you come in with expectation rather than disappointment. Do you see what I'm saying? How many times have you ever been blamed by your parents for doing something that you never did? But they don't believe you. They just automatically assume that you were the one that did it. Right? I do that to my kids all the time. I blame one and it wasn't them. And I yell at them like, well, you probably did something wrong anyway. You know? And I feel bad, but at the same time, it's like, it's not fair. So somebody that comes to you and they're, they're confronting you because you're in sin or you're confronting, in them, uh, confronting them in sin, assume that God is at work. Number two, oh, this is the, the verse. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is Paul writing. I, I preached this message in uh, uh, the Good Friday service. But it is, and I am sure of this, that he who began, that's the thing, that's the thing that you need to remember, that God began this work. It's not because Jong-Won decided to be good one day. It's because the Holy Spirit was doing something in his life. He goes to Nicaragua, sees things that he's never seen before, sees hurting people, and all of a sudden his heart is broken, and it awakens something. That's the Holy Spirit doing something in Jong-Won's life. Assume that God is at work. This is number two, how to confront sin. Number two, start with a place of trust and safety. So I walked in on a pastor screaming at a youth person, yelling at him. In fact, he was up against the wall, and the pastor was in his face, and he was yelling at him and, and telling him all the things he did wrong, and blah, 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 rah, 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 And he was really mean. It wasn't nice. And the, and the kid, I could tell, was just totally broken out. He just sat there like this. Yes, yes. Yes, was not engaged, not convicted, not whole, everything, it was just messed up. And I took the pastor aside and I sat him down. I'm like, so what do you think was going to happen there? Like, what, 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 what did you expect? Did you expect that the kid would repent and come to Jesus and change his life because of what you did? He's like, well, I'm, I'm prophetic. I mean, this is what my gift is and this is how I want. I'm like, regardless of your, of your spiritual gift, you know, prophetic being calling out sin, it always has to start with a place of trust and safety. If they do not believe that you are for them or that you love them, you might not be the person to confront them. Now, if you really feel that way, you feel that deeply, right? Then it might be your place to confront them, but you need to start with trust and safety first. How many times have you guys ever been confronted by somebody that you didn't like? Anybody? You have, right? Somebody's been, somebody's yelled at you, somebody's, and, and then how did that go down in your heart? Were you like, oh, I was wrong. I need to change. Right? No, you were like, that guy, I'm going to, I'm going to puncture his tires and I'm going to key his car. Right? Good day to you. <laughs> right? God bless you. Right? Even if they were, what they were saying was right. Right, because I've had people like confront me, and I didn't like them or trust them. I, I just knew that they were just like mean and vindictive or angry, or you know, and, and they confront. They're like, you know, like you're doing this wrong, blah blah blah. You know, like I was just like, I, I'm not listening to anything you say, and I hate you. <laughs> I mean, that's just the result of it, right? But you come into tr uh, trust and safety. It might hurt your feelings in the beginning. Someone that you trust and love, and they come to you, 
and they confront you on something, they do it in a loving way, it might hurt, but you will consider it. Oh, maybe they are right. Or you will be like, yes, you're absolutely right. This is something that the Holy Spirit has been revealing to me over time. Does that make sense? Start with trust and safety. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people, they confront because they're irritated. Some of you guys have big personalities, right? You guys don't have a problem, you know, saying what you think. And you hurt people. And you're not doing it because you love them. You're doing it because you are annoyed with them or you're frustrated with them or you're angry at them or you're disappointed at them. It's all about you. It's not about them at all. This is a good reminder. Start with trust and safety. The passage is a bruised reed. And this is talking about God. This is amazing. This is Isaiah. A brood reed he will not break. God will not break a bruised reed. A reed, you guys know what a reed is, right? So what, what ends up happening is if you hit a, a reed, it'll bend over, right? And if it's completely, like, uh, bent, it, it's bruised. Um, it, won't, it won't pop back up. It'll, it'll just lay, lay over. And to break a reed, you can rip it, and it, it'll fall to the ground. And it's, it's basically saying that when, when you're hurting, when you're broken, right, God's not going to break you. God's not going to break you. A smoldering wick, have you seen a candle when it's drowning and about to die? Right? A, sm- a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. He won't put you out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will bring back righteousness into your life. Because a lot of people, broken reed, snuffed out wick, or a, a smoldering wick, they, they're, they're being broken and bruised in their bodies, in their spirits, in their, 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 their minds, their health, right? Because of some injustice that has happened. Some of you guys have been neglected as kids. You don't feel like your parents love you. You're constantly in arguments with your mom or your dad. They don't see eye to eye. You, you grew up, your brother was really uh, like a bully, or you had a bully all the time in your, in your school, and you feel like a very small person. Or maybe you've had dealt with racism all your life, and, and you know, that's, that's, that's injustice in your life. And it breaks you, and God's not going to stomp you out. And so when you remember that we come from a place of trust and, uh, trust and safety, we're not the kind of person that's going to come in and be like, you know what, you're wrong. You, you suck. You're not a Christian or you're not a good person, right? That's breaking the reed. That's snuffing out the wick. Instead, we, we take the cue from God and how God treats me. My, my daughter was asking me, Ella was asking me last night, we were talking in bed, and she asked me about, um, oh, we were talking about grace. And I was just talking about how God always treated me far better than I ever deserved that God was always gentle to bring me back to him. I ran away from God. I, I still run away from God, uh, obviously internally, uh, in my heart where I just get distant and I just watch Netflix all the time and I don't think about God. I don't meditate on the scripture. I don't worship him. I just do whatever I want to do because I'm just out of it, right? And God gently calls me back. He doesn't squash me like a bug. He doesn't break me in half. He's like, Howard, come back. Come back to me. Right? And we have to remember that that's how God operates. And if we're going to be the sledgehammer, the spiritual sledgehammer walking into somebody else's life and smashing them down, it will not be effective and it will not be like God. Number three, find out the why, the behind the scenes. Right, Because a lot of times, like, like what I was talking about, the crack, nobody just walks, wakes up one morning and says, hey, I'd like to smoke crack today. Right? Something is happening in their life that leads them down that road. Does that make sense? Something in their identity, something the way they see themselves. Do you guys know anything about identity? Saying, do you know anything about identity? No, you don't. Identity is what you believe about yourself. Now, the thing about identity is it can be true or it can be false. It can be real or it can be fake, right? 
So give me something about yourself that you know to be true. And people make identi identity statements all the time. They, oh, I've been talking to Sophia. She just finished her master's degree recital, right? It was amazing. I watched her fingers. You know, I, I was moved emotionally. I was like really touched. It was imp impressive. It was powerful. And I just sat there and I encouraged her. And I said, Sophia, I know you do not believe that you are good, you know, at, at piano. And I said, but that is a lie. I said, very few people spend their entire life to get to this level of discipline, to be able to play this kind of music to this degree. That is a lie. You are far more you know, gifted. You are good. And you need to recognize that. Right? And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know. Right? And then, and then Christy, she was talking to Christy, and Christy was like, you were so beautiful. And, and then Sophia made this identity statement. She said, it's because the picture was zoomed out and you couldn't really see me. And I said, why did you say that, right? Christy, I said, why did you say that? She's like, it's because I don't know what to do with that. When she says, I said, just say thank you, right? Instead of making false identity statements about yourself, you guys make identity statements all the time. I'm stupid, I'm funny, I'm smart, I'm awesome, I got pentakills on league, I'm whatever, right? You make identity statements and what you believe is oftentimes will lead to your behavior. If you think that you are ugly, you will do, oftentimes do whatever it takes to be accepted and think, or to think that you're pretty. So you will dress provocatively so that you can get boys' attentions because you think you're ugly. If you think you are unlovable, you will accept anybody uh, to love you, like some you know, um, abusive man to love you because you think that you are unlovable. You see what I'm saying? If you think you are dumb, you will never go after the things that s you think smart people will go after. Your identity leads to behavior. If you figure out the why in the sin, okay, get this, if you figure out the why in the sin, it oftentimes leads to identity, what they believe about themselves. The person that is smoking crack probably thinks that they're a loser. Something happened in their life that they believe the identity in their heart, that they are a loser, that they are worthless, that they are not valuable. You get what I'm saying? You figure out the why, and it oftentimes talk to you about the confrontation and how the direction you should go. Jesus, when, she ta when he talks to the woman of the well, what was the why? He talks about the, the husband, right? Why does somebody have five husbands? She has this deep emptiness that she's trying to fill with men, right? Now, obviously, they can go in far, far, far more detail, right? But it's very, very obvious to see when somebody spends all of their money on a certain thing or does something to the extreme, it means there's something missing there, and they're trying to fill it up, right? The passage that we want to look at is blind Pharisee. This is Jesus talking. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Oftentimes we're like the Pharisees that are blind. We try to clean the behavior and not the root, not the heart. Figure out the identity, the why, okay? Uh, number four, remind them of who they are in Christ. This is really, really important. Um, uh, obviously, I struggle with my weight. I try to lose weight all the time. Uh, but one thing that has not helped me is my mom saying, you're fat. Oh, you're so fat. You know, or you know, like it's not like, oh, I better lose weight. Let me go off to the gym. But if they are like, you know what? I meet somebody that has struggled with their weight and they're like, you know what? I don't know what happened. I just had friends around me that helped me, supported me. We went to the gym together and I lost a ton of weight. I'm like, you look amazing. How did you do it? And we start having this deep conversation. You know what that person says to me? Howard, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. That didn't, that's deeply encouraging, deeply, deeply moving. 
right? If we are reminded identity-wise who we are in Christ, all of a sudden that encourages us, not because we have to live up to some impossible degree to get God's acceptance or Jesus' love, right? I have to be a perfect Christian or Jesus will kick me out, right? Instead, we flip it on his head and he's like, hey, you remember? The old has passed, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. You need to walk in it. And I try to remind my kids all the time. Like, I tried to get rid of false identity in their life. Ella's like, oh, I'm not smart. Everyone in school is smarter than me. And she's so, she's so smart. But she doesn't believe it. Right? When she was younger, we were really worried about beauty. <clears throat> because, you know, girls that don't think that they're beautiful, it can get, become really, really tough. Because, you know, like the supermodels of the world, they're the most insecure in the world. You, if you want to, you know, if you want to date a supermodel, boys, if you want to, this is a tip. If you want to date supermodels, all you have to do is make a comment about how imperfect they are, about their looks. And then they start to be like, they really need to hear from you why you think that and how they can change that. And because they're deeply insecure in their identity. And that's something that I was working with with Ella. Like, and then when Josiah was like, if you listen to our family podcast, <coughs> we interview Josiah. And I'm like, hey, Josiah, do you think Ella's pretty? And he's like, absolutely. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> but if she hears that enough times from her father, from her brother, from friends, she starts to believe that she has beauty. And then I was telling her on the beach on, in, in Charleston that beauty does not have to do with just your face. That's only one facet of beauty. I told her, like, hey, if I decided to take you aside and make a scale from 1 to 10, and I decided to say whether you are acceptable or not, according to your shoe size. If I said, your shoe size will, I'll rate your shoe size, and then whatever, you know, I decide, I'll, I'll rate you. And she's like, that's stupid. Well, Ella, no, no, your feet are a little bit too small, so I'm going to give you a three. From a scale of one to ten, you are a three. She's like, ah, bah. But see that boy over there? Well, his, his feet look fine, so he's a, he's a nine. She's like, that's stupid. I'm like, but we do that about on phys a physical beauty. We look at one person, and we think, oh, that person is beautiful. They're a nine. But that's only measured in one facet. And then you get to know them, and they're really shallow and bitter, right? Distrusting, angry vindictive. You know those people on, t on TV, like the, the celebrity shows. You know what I'm saying? You start to figure out what they're really like. This is all about identity. We have to remember to remind them who they are in Christ. When they are in Christ, right, their identity begins to shift. And they start to realize, oh, I am beautiful in Christ. Oh, God made me to love. Like Ella, she's, she's an amazing singer. God gave her that gift for a reason, right? There's people all around us here that God has created you for very specific reasons. Some of you guys have these spiritual gifts up on the wall, like we posted them over there. You have these amazing spiritual gifts that God has created you to be. You're funny, you're smart, you're all the, but then all these lies seep in and they start to, to transform the way you think about yourself. Remind them of who they are in Christ and they will start to, to, to rise to that. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed, behold, the new has come. Um, number five, trust the spirit to do the work. Now, this is the deal. Many of you guys <clears throat> are the kind of mom, mommies and daddies, like, you know, to your friends, and you try to make sure that they're not in sin. You need to stop being in sin, right? And you confront them, and you continue to nag them, and nag them, and nag them, and nag, nag them. That probably has more to do with your pride than it really has to do with their spiritual growth. If I, if your spiritual lives, if how you did, or your level of non-sin right? Wait on me every single week. Oh, my, my youth are, are doing so bad because some of them are partying or some of them are cheating or some of them are like arguing with their parents or some of them are running away and whatever or being mean to their friends. 
then it would crush me. It would kill me if I had to carry all of your garbage on my back. But you know what happens? Students come to me all the time and they're like, hey, Howard, I'm struggling with this. I'm like, wow, that sounds really hard. We have this deep conversation where you know, we talk about truth, we talk about confrontation, but I also talk about who they are in Christ and what God has made them to be and encourage them and pray for them. And then when they leave, they take it with them. It's not my responsibility to make them good Christians, whatever, to keep them sin-free. That's not my job. And as confronters, if you are to confront your friend, it is not your job. Trust the Spirit to do the work. You have to, because you cannot carry that. If you carry it, it's probably about your pride. It's probably not really about them. The passage is, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Will bring it to completion. Katie. Second Corinthians 5.17. Is that okay? You just need the reference, right? Okay. All right, does that make sense? And then number six, point to Jesus. This is the thing. Our faith is not about self-help. <clears throat> you don't stop smoking crack because you just want to be a healthy person. We confront in sin to sharpen each other, to help each other move towards Christ more and more. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're binge-watching Netflix, if you go to bed at four in the morning and, and sleep all day and, and do nothing with your life, all the responsibilities that you're supposed to have, and, and you're, just, you're just slacking off, you're not coming to church because you played league too late last night, uh, because you're, you're disobeying, you're arguing with your parents because of pride, all of these sins right, are preventing you from what? Growing in the Lord. Becoming go who God had made you to be. Right? Obviously, crack, that's obvious. If you start smoking crack, that's going to ruin your life. And you're not going to be who God's created you to be. Now, we're not talking about a salvation thing. I was talking to a kid uh, last week who's a heroin addict. And he said, I don't think I'm a Christian. I'm like, why? He says, because I am a heroin addict. I'm like, yes, so? Well, I don't think that heroin addicts can, become, can be Christians. Well, what are you talking about? Didn't you receive the Lord? Didn't you start walking in the Lord? He said, yeah, but then I'm stuck on heroin still. I'm like, heroin, or other words for you, behavior does not indicate whether or not you are a Christian or not. You have to know that. Because you know how I was talking about the root? It takes time for the fruit to appear. It takes time for the fruit to appear. And you might be measuring your faith by going, you're going up and down. And when you're up, you're like, I'm a Christian, yay. And then it goes down, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. And then it goes up, yay, I'm a Christian again. And it goes down, no, I'm not a Christian, this sucks. That's not how we measure our faith. That's not how we indicate whether or not we're Christians or not. It's not about your behavior at all. Now, the byproduct of being a Christian should be your behavior. And that's how where we come in. That's where we come into the picture. We, as brothers and sisters, we sharpen each other by confronting in love, like I described, like uh, Sammy and uh, uh, Chris described, showed through, right? It's like, hey, I love you. I hope, I want the best for you, right? How are you doing? What's going on in your heart? Find out the why. So what's going on? Why are you, you know, okay, you didn't used to do that. Why are you doing that now? Well, just having a really hard time. Start to hear their heart, to ask God, okay, what are the, what's going on in their heart so I can start dealing with that? Well, what are you going to do about it? And then they start to share, well, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Well, you know, something that really helped me. And then you start to share your testimony of your life. And all of a sudden, your conversations are way deeper than, than, than the mall. 
And then we start sharpening each other. We start changing. We start pointing to Jesus. And then all of a sudden we become more and more. And it's a cyclical thing where the more we become salt and light, the more we become uh, completely devoted to the Lord without all the hangups, without all the false identity, without all the brokenness, right? As God starts to heal that through our community, we start to impact other people. And they start to see what you have. And they feel like the Samaritan in the well, the woman at the well. And they all of a sudden deeply thirsty because you're like, you seem so healthy. You have this community. I feel so alone. I feel so broken. And everything in my life that I try to fill up to make that, that go away doesn't go away. And it's still there. And it gets worse. And I, it gets worse. And I have no hope anymore. That heroin addict, the first time I met with him, he was like, I, I love drugs. It's still fine. I, it's fine. The Bible says that you know, drugs are okay because it's all natural. But so is poison. Some poison. You know what I'm saying? But he was convinced. And no matter what I said, he was just like, no, drugs are cool. Second time I met with him, he's like, yeah, I know drugs are bad, but I can do it my own. I can get off of this stuff myself. Third time I met with him, he's like, I am completely broken and messed up. I don't know what to do. What, can I, what, what should I do? How, how can I do this? How can I help? How can I get help? You see the, you see the difference, this, this level of brokenness that eventually your friends will come to the point. Maybe you yourself will come to the point where you know that you need God to show up in your life. And then when somebody confronts you in love, they don't confront you because the confrontation that I'm talking about doesn't even feel like confrontation in the same way. When they start to see confrontation and love, they, their hearts will change and want to move towards God. Does that make sense? Everybody stare. That was in the mic, Justin. Okay, so how do we confront Justin of his sin? That's the question. How do we confront Justin of his sin? Do we con- listen, but listen, really quick. Do we control his behavior? Because, because really, is the word really that big of a deal? Is the word really a big, big deal? No, probably not. Right? What's going on in his heart? Right? Why do, why do kids his age want to cuss? Because it's cool. <laughs> but hey, did you guys pick up on that though? Kids his age cuss because it's cool. So what's going on in his heart? He wants to be, he wants to be cool. He doesn't feel like he's cool. And you know what happens when our community confronts him? They don't confront him for his behavior. They confront him on his false identity and saying, Justin, we love you. You don't have to be cool like the rest of the world is cool. You are totally accepted. And as goofy and troublesome as you are, we love you so much. And then all of a sudden, his heart begins to heal. Do you see that? And all of a sudden, he doesn't say those words because he doesn't need to say those words. And it's not a big deal. And he starts to change. Does that make sense? And he becomes more like Christ. And that's ultimately what we do here. This is what we do here. But you have to get to know each other. And that's the last thing I'm going to say. All right, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys, and I know, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for sending Justin and making him say a cuss word in church. That's awesome, right? Yeah. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, uh, for our community, for our family, God. Thank you that uh, following you, Jesus, is not something that's, you know, this cultural thing that we do because we want to seem like we're good people, but it's because the gospel is real life. And that you deal with real issues in our heart, and yet you actually really bring us healing, and that you, tr- you teach us to love one another, even though it's not perfect, even though we mess up, even though some of us in this room feel lonely. Lord, that you are moving us towards your plans and how you designed us to be. And I just pray that you would help usher us quicker, more quickly. God, help us to get that into our hearts. Help us to be confronters of love and not of behavior, to get to the heart and to be gentle and be loving just like you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
uh, offering bucket is right over there, and Minuk is going to close us in prayer, uh, pray for the offering, and then we're, we're done. One thirty. Uh, what they're made of, uh, what their creator could be. And so I pray that uh, 